All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you here, it's on page 975. We've been in a series through this letter uh, to the Galatians from the Apostle Paul. And uh, here we come uh, to the final chapter and be looking at verses 6 through 10. And just give you some reminders as we jump into these verses here, especially if uh, you're visiting uh, this this morning or this afternoon. And uh, it's good to see some uh, familiar faces, some old faces. Francine, it's good to see you as well. Sonia is here um, and a number of other people, some of Shannon's friends. And so we're glad uh, that uh, you're all here with us and to worship together. But some just quick reminders here in this section of the of the letter, the Apostle Paul is fleshing out what he says um, in verse three, rather verse two. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we've spoken about this before, so I'll be very brief. But the question is, what does Paul mean by the law of Christ? That law is meant to dictate the Christian life. It's meant to be operative in the church. It's meant to define how we live and interact with one another and the church and the world. So what is the law of Christ that the Apostle Paul is talking about here? And we had said earlier that the law of Christ is defined as the kind of life that Jesus Christ exemplified for us, which Paul talks about earlier in this letter. And specifically, it's a life that was other-oriented, a life that looked to the good and the need of others around him. It was a life defined by bearing the burdens of another. And so Paul gave us three very important verses in this letter earlier that flesh that out for us. Christ as the ultimate burden bearer, the one who considers the needs of others more important than his own. So Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, for example, that Christ gave himself for, on behalf of, in the place of, our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. They were not his own sins, right? They were ours, and he gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to save us, to bring us into a new creation. Later in chapter 2 verse 20 The Apostle Paul then applies that general truth to himself, just as all of us can apply that truth to ourselves. Chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right, The one who gives himself for others. It's Christ who gave himself for For me, who gave himself for you, if you have come to trust in him. And one more verse that captures Christ as the ultimate burden bearer, the one who considers the needs of others, is chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. There the Apostle Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Right, Jesus Christ was one not deserving of the curse, but one who came for us to deliver us and to lift the curse. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So when Paul says here that this is the law of Christ, he's saying what is to be operative in the church, what is to define our lives as we live as Christians together as a church and in this world, is to be those who bear the burdens of others and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
And so here in verses 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul is going to continue to flesh that out. What does it look like as we bear the burdens of one another, consider others more important than ourselves? So Galatians chapter 6, we'll read verses 6 through 10. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So far from God's holy word, let's pray that he might bless this word to us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, as it gives us instruction as, as what it looks like to be those who belong to Jesus Christ and to live as those united to him, the burden bearer, help us then, Lord, to receive this instruction and to live it out according to your grace and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Grant us clarity of mind, and may this truth penetrate to our hearts, changing us and transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what the Apostle Paul has to tell us here is of great weight. What the Apostle Paul tells us here has great weight because what he's saying here is that the way in which we live today, that the field in which we are sowing, and I'll explain that more, has consequences for eternity. What you are doing today, the way you are living today, has consequences for eternity. Now, of course, the culture around us, the way of thinking in society around us, keeps us from thinking long-term, tries to distract us, right, in in an entertainment-driven society, in a self-gratification, immediate gratification kind of world, right? We don't often think about the long-term consequences of things. But what the Apostle Paul is speaking to us here is of great weight, because what he's saying here is that the way in which you are living today has consequences for your life in eternity, And the Apostle Paul here is using garden imagery, drawing from the imagery that Jesus himself uses, and even imagery Paul used earlier regarding the fruit of the Spirit. He's using garden imagery to to, um, bring before our our, our minds and bring before our our attention uh, the question, in what field are we sowing today? And Paul is using it as a metaphor, of course. He's saying that our lives, as we live them out, they're sort of throwing seeds around. And one day a harvest is coming, and either that harvest is unto corruption and and destruction, or that harvest is unto eternal life. Right? Paul is speaking in very weighty matters here as we think about living the Christian life. And so as we think about this passage then, we have two points that I want us to think about. Uh, The first is, uh, what field are you sowing in? And what are you sowing? So those are the two questions, the field and then what is being sown. The Apostle Paul uh, here talks about two different fields, if you notice, especially in those middle, the middle section of what we read. 
right? He says in verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh, or you can say into his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows into or to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, right? So the Apostle Paul is holding before us two different fields, the field of the flesh and the field of the Spirit. And he's saying that all people, including us here, are sowing into one or the other And there's no other field that we could be sowing our lives into. You are either sowing into the field of the Spirit, or you are sowing into the field of the flesh. Now, of course, this imagery is drawing from what the Apostle Paul said earlier in chapter 5 regarding the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. The flesh is that, if you look back in chapter 5, verse uh, 19, He lays out examples of the works of the flesh, what that field looks like. He says there that the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, right? So it wasn't not, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of ways of living that do not produce life, but ultimately death and destruction. The Apostle Paul is saying that this is a field that we can be sowing our lives into. And if we are, then the harvest that will come from that field will not be pleasant. But the harvest that will come from that field will be one that Paul speaks about as Corruption, you could even translate it as destruction, that which is death. Right? As we sow to the field of the flesh, the soil, the nutrients in that soil produce only death. In some sense, it's without nutrients, right? It's just deadly soil. But in contrast to that, right, the Apostle Paul is saying that our, we have another option, right? It's not a matter of that we only can sow into the flesh, but we also may sow into the field of the Spirit, And what is the field of the Spirit? What defines that soil? Well, Paul says back in chapter 5, verse 22, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right, so these are the two fields that the Apostle Paul is laying out for us. If you sow to the flesh and throw and scatter seeds in the soil of the flesh, then you shall expect that what will be produced at the final harvest when Christ returns will be destruction, corruption, death. Or it's, it's, in, it's in the very nature of those acts, right? A life filled of, of, of envy and division and drunkenness, a life filled with fits of anger, anger and rivalries, right? Those things naturally produce death and destruction, right? If I'm sowing into these things, if I'm putting my life into them, well, then I'm going to expect death to come in terms of broken relationships. I'm going to expect death to come, not only broken relationships with other people, but with God Himself. I'm going to expect a kind of death-like living to result from this. But if I sow to the Spirit, I shall expect a harvest when Christ returns, not of corruption, but of, as Paul says, eternal life. These are the things that produce life. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, right? These are the things that bring us and cause us to thrive as the people of God. And so, right, there's two fields presented to us. The field of the, field of the flesh, the field of the spirit. In many ways, these two paths are is often spoken throughout the scriptures in different terms. Um, you can think of the whole book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, right? Proverbs reminds us that there's a way of life, a path of living, of righteousness that leads to life. And then there's a way of living, a path of unrighteousness that leads to death. And the reason that these two paths lead to the way in which, the places which they do, and the reason that the fields produce what they produce, ultimately, is because the world belongs to the Lord, who is the judge of all the earth. It's not a matter of just arbitrary uh, results. It is the sovereign Lord over all things. Proverbs holds together because the Lord is sovereign. Paul's argument here holds together because the Lord is sovereign. He has spoken. He said this kind of living produces corruption. This kind of living produces eternal life. Right, so, so Paul's argument, the argument of Proverbs and elsewhere throughout the scriptures, holds together because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That he is the judge of all the earth. And that we, therefore, are not um, autonomous kings and queens of the creation and of ourselves. But we are cre- creatures made in the image of God. And it's to him we will one day have to give an account And that which we are sowing today with our lives, whether to the flesh or to the spirit, will bring about eternal consequences, either of eternal death or of eternal life. Again, what Paul is telling us here is of great weight. And so these are the two fields in terms of where we are sowing. And so before moving on, the question becomes to you very, very um, pointed. In what field are you sowing? In what field are you sowing? As those who belong to Jesus Christ, right, as Paul says earlier in chapter 5, right, those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have crucified the flesh, right? We, we, are, not, we are therefore not called to sow into the flesh, but into the field of the Spirit. And as we do so, we expect the Lord to reward that. Now, of course, not as if our good works and the love and the joy and the peace and the gentleness and the self-control that we're, we exhibit by the power of God's Spirit at work in us, it's not as if those things naturally just require God to reward them, but according to His grace, God has promised that He will reward the good deeds and the good works of His people. Our good works are not those that save us, Our good works, as Paul has been hammering throughout this whole letter, are not that which bring us into right relationship with God. But as those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are empowered by his spirit, whom God has sent into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, we are then to produce these works and to live in such a life and sow to the spirit with the great prospect and the joy that God, according to his grace, will even reward that which he is working in us. That which he is working in us. And so the Bible holds before us rewards as great motivation, even eternal life, as the Apostle Paul speaks about here uh, for us in chapter 6. And so these are the two fields. And so the question becomes then, what are uh, we to sow? 
What are we to sow? And the Apostle Paul, kind of bracketing the middle section we've been dealing with, speaks in, in terms of one very specific thing, and then in a very general sense. Right? So he speaks in terms of what we are to sow. He speaks in a very specific sense in verse 6, and then in a very general, all-encompassing sense in verse 10. So notice first the very specific thing, right? In light of what we've been talking about, the Apostle Paul is giving a, a very specific way in which we can sow to the Spirit. And he says there in verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here is that, one, God prioritizes the teaching and the preaching of his word in his church. You can read Paul's letters uh, to Timothy, to Titus, elsewhere, where Paul is establishing a teaching ministry in the church. Myself, Pastor Paul, uh, Caesar as an elder, right? We have a responsibility in the church to teach because God has prioritized that. That the whole ministry of the church flows in many ways, in, in the highest sense, from the pulpit. Everything we do comes as the word of God is opened up and taught Sunday after Sunday, faithfully according to what God has for us here. Many of you are familiar with the phrase of expository preaching. Ex is the word, it's a preposition, out of, from. And, and so the kind of preaching that we desire to do here is not one in which we gather our opinions and bring them together and teach what we think is wise, but rather our desire is to preach and teach what is contained for us in this word, to draw it out and to expose it, to open it up uh, for us. This is God's priority for his church, right? Now, Paul is then speaking to those who receive that ministry, right? Those who receive the teaching ministry of the church, and he says to them, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, right? And so the apostle Paul here is saying that we then, in response to that, are to support uh, those who teach. In many ways, this verse is kind of a, uh, uh, a proof text for having a salary as a pastor, I guess, right? Or as Pastor Paul or whoever it might be in other churches, right? God has designated men for this task, and those who receive that ministry then are to share. But notice how Paul speaks about this. He doesn't speak about it necessarily as um, paying, right? for the word to be taught, as if it's sort of a one-to-one bargain. And of course, we here do not charge to hear the word preached. If you somebody scalped a, a ticket to you outside, you got, you got ripped off. Like it's, it's free to come in here every week. You're welcome to come, right? Um, there's no cost to the word of God. It goes freely to the world, publicly inviting all to come and hear this word. So when Paul's saying here that we're to share all good things, the word he uses here is the word koinonia, a fellowship. He's saying it's not a matter of just paying for what you received, as if it's just a bartering system. But rather he's saying that by sharing, by giving, you're joining in the ministry, the work of that church. There's a kind of fellowship, there's a sharing of that. And so when we think about supporting the work of the church in terms of our tithes and our offerings... It's, again, it's not a matter of just paying for services received, right? It's a matter of sharing in the life and the work and the ministry of that church. And, and therefore, our giving and our, and, our, and our sharing comes from a heart that desires the word of God, right, to go forth here and throughout this world. 
That's the heart behind giving, right? It's not just a matter of saying, well, this is, you know, a fair trade. It's a matter of saying that this is the work of the Lord, that his word is so important, and I desire that his word be heard by myself, by my family, by my children, by my brothers and sisters, and in this world, and therefore, I'm going to share in that. Right, Paul uses this language, for example, when he speaks to the Philippians, right? He's, he's um, seeking when he's writing to, to the Philippians uh, to have them support the work of sending the gospel, I believe, to Rome and, and supporting the work there that he might be able to travel there. And Paul says to them that they have become partners with him, sharers with him. That the work that the word is accomplishing through Paul is attributed and, and, and the, the reward of that is given to the church itself who share and partner with him. That's our perspective and should be our perspective as we think about Paul's very specific example of what it looks like to sow into the Spirit. You might say, okay, well, in what sense is sharing all good things sowing into the Spirit? Well, again, it reflects something of the fruit of the Spirit, which Jesus, by his Spirit, is producing in us. Kindness and goodness, specifically, those things carry the sense of generosity, a willingness to share. And that stands in contrast, again, to that which the world is sowing around us, right? The world does not sow generosity. The world doesn't, doesn't sow a kind of living in which, just like the Philippians gave out of their need, right? They rather accumulate to themselves, take for themselves, gather for themselves, hoard for themselves, right? That's the kind of life that is sowing to the flesh. But as we sow to the Spirit, our lives are marked by the joy of giving and the joy of sharing. Paul gives a very specific sense of sharing with the one who teaches, but really the whole life uh, that all of us are called to exhibit is one of sharing, one of generosity, as we produce the fruit of the Spirit in us, right? So that's Paul's very specific example in terms of what we are to sow. And as we sow that, again, Paul holds out for us the reward of eternal life. But then in verse 9 and 10, Paul gives a very general, all-encompassing claim. Now, we, um, we don't know the reason necessarily behind why Paul gave the very specific one, but now in verse 9 and 10, we can see Paul applying the whole life of the Christian as one of sowing into the Spirit. He says there in verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Right. So Paul is reminding us to have a future orientation to our lives, to to live and sow in such a way that we know that what we sow we will reap. Right. So Paul is calling us then to consider those things, and in light of that, not to give up, not to grow weary of doing good. And good here is really an all-encompassing term for what it looks like to live um and walk by the Spirit. Everything that is encompassed by walking by the Spirit, Paul is saying, do not grow weary in doing that. Consider the harvest. Consider the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, and that which we sow will one day rise and grow, and we will reap the reward of it. And so then he says in a very general term, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity. Now, When he says, as we have opportunity, the point here isn't to say, well, when there's an open door, that's when I'll do this. Really, what Paul is talking about here, when we have opportunity, saying your whole life at present, from right now as you have life and breath in your lungs, to the moment you die is an opportune time 
And in that time in that God has designated for you, we are called then to sow into the field of the Spirit. The whole, our whole life is an opportunity, Paul is saying here. Because often we can read that and say, well, I just didn't have an opportunity to do it. Or, well, I just didn't, you know, didn't arise in my life. And we can begin making excuses. But Paul is saying that your whole life, from right now to the moment you die, is an opportune time and you are either sowing into this flesh or into the spirit. And Paul is saying, let us sow into the spirit. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right, so Paul is saying then, in a very general sense, that as we think about our lives, we are to be conscious and intentional about sowing into the Spirit, and therefore they should be marked by such things as love, right? Sacrificing, laying down our lives, considering others more important than ourselves, even as Christ himself has done so. It's to be marked by, by joy, by peace, right? Being those who are, are able to reconcile with those around us, right? To, to do that is to sow into the Spirit. Not to hold on to grudges, not to hold on to enmity with one another, but to forgive and to seek peace and restoration and reconciliation with one another. To show patience, right? It's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it seems very ordinary. But to demonstrate patience is to, is to sow into the Spirit and so reap eternal life. That, that's the kind of life that we're called to live. And so it's not to grow frustrated, uh, not to grow angry, uh, not to, to, to hold on to things and explode, but to be patient. That is a supernatural fruit of the Spirit. Kindness in being generous towards others, goodness, faithfulness, right? Being true to my word is a fruit of the Spirit. It's sowing into the Spirit. It's saying that, that I will be true to what I have told the world, to the church, to God. These are things that may seem on the surface very ordinary, but these are really things that are produced in us by the Spirit of God, and therefore they are a matter of sowing into the Spirit. And Paul is saying that as we live a life sowing into the field of the Spirit, producing these fruits, that we're also to have a kind of priority. Now, on the one hand, it's, it's all-encompassing, right? Do good to everyone. You can think of the parable that Jesus told when he was asked the question, well, who is my neighbor, right? Who is my neighbor? And the, the Pharisees had asked him that question because they had made loopholes to really define very in a very narrow way who is their neighbor, to get out of the, 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 the command to love your neighbor as yourself, right? If I can narrowly define who my neighbor is, then I can define who I get to love and, and don't have to love. And so they ask him to trick him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells them the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The one you see in need is your neighbor. Regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their status in this world, the person you see in need is your neighbor, Period, right? And so Paul is saying then, as we live out this life, sowing to the, the Spirit, that we're to do that with, in relation to everyone, to all those whom we see around us, all whom the Lord brings into our path. And so we do it to everyone. But then Paul gives a kind of priority still, where he says, at the end of verse 10, 
especially, right, so not exclusively or only, but especially, right, having a sort of uh, uh, um, concentration here, especially to those who are of the household of faith, right? And so he pictures the church, the people of God, as a household, as, a, as the family of God, as brothers and sisters, with Christ as our elder brother. And he's saying that we are to, especially as we think about our lives, so into the Spirit in terms of how we live with one another here. Paul is saying that we should have a priority in our life to show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on to those who belong to the household of God, to our brothers and sisters. And just as the question, who is my neighbor, is answered by the one you see in need, well then who is of the household of faith? Who is my brother and my sister? Well, first and foremost, they're right in front of you here. Look to your left, to your right, behind you, right? These are your brothers and your sisters whom you're called to show such things to. Uh, But also, not only here, but as God's people gather throughout the world. Our brothers and sisters in West Sayville, as some of the members here are there for the wedding uh, tomorrow. Our brothers and sisters in Jersey City. They are of the household of faith. Our brothers and sisters throughout this world. It's to them that we are especially to show love. Think about our brothers and sisters in Cape Coral, Florida, who have undergone great uh, destruction there to their building, to their homes. What does it look like to sow into the Spirit? Well, it may look like providing for them, praying for them, going down and helping them, right? Like that's what it looks like to sow into the Spirit. And, And again, the reward is held out that if you sow into the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Now, as we come to a conclusion here, right, this is the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to. Again, not that by it we might be made right with God. Not that by it we might um, bring about the, the, the resolution and the forgiveness of our sins. But it's the kind of life that is ours because we belong to Jesus Christ. He is the one who has delivered us. He is the one who has given himself for us. He is the one who became a curse for us. And therefore, the life that we're called now to live is a life empowered by his spirit at work in us. If you remember what the Apostle Paul said earlier in chapter 4, it says there in verse 6, he says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, the spirit of the burden bearer, the spirit of the one who considered the needs of others more important than his own, the, the, the spirit of the one who laid down his life for his brothers, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Son, has been sent into our hearts. And it's in light of that that we are then called to sow into the spirit, to keep in step with the spirit, to walk by the spirit. And as Paul said earlier, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step by the Spirit. That is what we're called to do as the people of God. And so, brothers and sisters, what Paul holds out for us as the church is of great joy for us, right? Sow into the field of the Spirit and reap eternal life. But if you are outside of Christ, the invitation comes to you this morning. Come to him by faith. Trust in him alone. And receive from him His spirit, that you may then live a life pleasing unto him, and a life that leads not to corruption and destruction and death, 
but one that leads to eternal life in the presence of God to glorify and enjoy him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word as it instructs us, as it leads us. Father, may you grant us the humility to receive your word, and may you also strengthen our faith that we might walk um, according to the Spirit. Father, may we take account of what our lives are sowing into, where we are scattering seed. Father, where we may be scattering and and sowing to the flesh, may you correct us and, and cause us and grant us repentance. And Father, instead, may we sow by your grace to the Spirit with the great hope of reaping eternal life. And so, Father, also give us then a future orientation to think not only about the immediate present, but also to consider where our lives are ultimately heading and what harvest they are ultimately producing. And so, Father, we ask that you would then cause uh, much seed to be scattered here, seed of eternal life, seed that, that is sown unto the Spirit, in order that we might be benefited by that as we um, grow and as we um, look to Christ, and that Christ himself would then be glorified as the fruit of the Spirit that belongs to him is being produced here among us. And so may the name of Christ be praised, and we ask it in his name. Amen.